Hello and welcome to the Driven by Diversity podcast. I'm Mariana. And I'm Steph. And every week we shine the spotlight on underrepresented groups in the world of racing. Our guests share their journey into the sport and also delve into what diversity and inclusion means to them. We hope that we can provide you with real role models who you can relate to and who represent you. And more than that, that you'll feel inspired and encouraged to know that you can make it in motorsport, no matter your background. A self-confessed business nerd, our Seattle-based guest has used his professional skills from his background in technology consulting and sales to help enable avenues for new enthusiasts to enter motorsport at a grassroots level. In his time outside his day-to-day career, he runs an online karting community forum and races himself in the Tag Masters category, having had his first direct introduction to motorsport through autocross in his late teenage years. Describing himself as a racer of colour and an ally for racing pride, diversity in the industry is something he is truly passionate about. Hear his perspective in our chat with the man himself, Davin Sturdivant. So first and foremost, could you tell us how you actually became a fan of racing and motorsport? I was born and then that was a thing. <laughs> and I, like, I mean that actually seriously. Like, I, I don't come from a racing background. Like, my, my parents really aren't into racing or cars at all. And so when I was little, I was the sort of person who could identify cars just by, you know, headlights and things like that. And it was just interesting to me because I like the shapes and I like the colors. And then as I got older and got into cars and was, like, finally able to drive, I wasn't very good. Like, I would, like, back into things, like, hit trash cans (laughs) or wheels. And it was just really frustrating. Like, I just didn't like it. Like, I had finally got enough money to get my own car. And all of a sudden, I was ruining it because I would, you know, hit things on the way to the school and things. And I mentioned to one of my friends who was a part of a local car club of mine, I was like, I wish I knew how to drive better. And so for my 18th birthday, they got me, like, a free entry to an autocross, which I didn't even know was a thing you could do. And, like, if you're not familiar with autocross, it's basically a a timed event in an open parking lot with a temporary course with cones. And you you can send just a regular street car through it, and uh, whenever you hit a cone, you get a time penalty. So it just – it's a single car event. You learn about car control, and it doesn't really matter when you start what kind of car you have. So I just took my Hyundai and went and drove, and I was awful. And it motivated me, though, to want to get better because you'd see these other people who could do it. And I was like, well, they have hands and thumbs and feet and stuff, (laughs) and I've got those things. So I want to get better at it. And so then I would buy books and got better and then started coaching and then got better and then got into go. And it just kind of spiraled as the like, I just enjoy getting better at something. And Mm -hmm. since there's always something to do, it just kept me hooked. There we go. That sounds pretty cool. I've not actually heard of something like that before, but yeah. that sounds quite fun. Yeah, it's I kind a lot of fun. want to do it myself. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> and now, bringing it to the present, your day job isn't motorsport focused, no. I believe, but you do have a lot of involvement within motorsport in your own time. So yeah. could you tell us a bit more about how you've got involved in that and the different initiatives that you are working with? Yeah, sure. So you kind of hit the nail on the head where you're like, oh, I've never heard of this before. I would kind of like to do that. And that's kind of like a theme that has always been consistent in my life. Like a lot of times when I would see someone doing something, I'd always be like, well, I want to know how to do that. And I would go online and I would try to find out like, how did they get into this form of racing or how did this start? And there wasn't a lot of information about it. And so I would kind of dig and ask friends and go to races and ask questions and kind of figure my way out. And then eventually I would figure out how to do it. And then other people would come to me and be like, Devin, how did you get into go-karting, for example? And I can't find anything online about it. And they were starting to have kind of that same journey. 
So I connected with a few friends and like for go-karting specifically, we made this community group called Kart Pulse, which was designed for grassroots racers to enter the sport of karting and to help give them guidance on where to start. Like we have forums, we have a website that we should update, but we don't, uh, Facebook and a few other things to help give information to folks. Like the forums is really the, the strength of where we live. It's the community center where people can come and say, I'm new, I don't know anything, where do I go? And you come here yeah. and then we give you some tips of here's where a local track is or here's a class you can start on or here's some quick tips or tools you need like don't forget to get t-handles when you go to the racetrack like little little things like that um because i've always had this constant theme in my life of like i don't know how to do something so i'll solve the problem and then i'd like to teach other people so that they can get there along with me and so i've made a bunch of community sites and community programs like that um, to kind of help enable other folks who want to get in because it's hard and it shouldn't be so hard that sounds brilliant are they u.s focused or more local than that primarily u.s focused but that's just due to convenience i guess like the cart pulse forums it's like if you are interested in go-karting show up and we're interested wherever you are so we know folks are in australia and in the uk and in mainland europe and america because the internet is a global platform so i I don't really care where you Mm. are right and that's the one of the glories of the internet if you use it correctly is that we're not limited by geography so i'm interested to know how racing is in australia i'm interested to know the classes in the uk i want to know the difference between u.s karting and uk karting like those things help and also then folks don't feel like they're just like they're not enabled to go somewhere when they just see like a us-based forum site because yeah the united states is big but we're not the only place in the world so i want you know and i'd like to travel certain places and sometimes i'll go to a new place and be like i want to know what the racing like is there can someone tell me what the closest track is in Mm -hmm. italy for example and so yeah they're primarily globalized but they just start in the us because that's where i am and then spreads from there brilliant and then how how successful has that become now and how long ago did you set that up so Car Pulse was something I did with a friend about four or five years ago, and we've gotten decent amounts of success. I'd say we'd have about 12,000 followers on Facebook and about 2,000, 2,500 members in the forums, which for our grassroots community site, it's not that bad. That's really good. Right? That's good. Um, yeah. So we, we picked up a decent amount of momentum there. And so, and then the nice thing about it is that like, we don't, I have this rule where I don't like to zero sum anything. And so I don't tell people like, you can only come to Cart Pulse, don't go anywhere else. Mm-hmm. And so like, there are other, mm-hmm. you know, let's say I'm going to keep it in the realm of karting because that's relevant right now. Um, there are other community places like uh, eCarting News or Cart360 or a few other sites like that, that have their own community places or are good resources and knowledge. And I'm like, I want you to know where those places are because I want you to do your homework. I'm not trying to bogart on the information around go-karting so you can only come to me and only get it from me. I'm not trying to be the fountain of truth here. I just want to make it so that you have a place to start and a place to come back to if you get confused or lost or da, 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 da. and that I'm not the only resource that's there to give you knowledge so we have mm-hmm. plenty of much more credible people in the forums that I'll just go TJ tell them how it's done because <laughs> I shouldn't be the one to answer that question <laughs> which helps then build up community trust because it's not just like davinscardingforums.com right yeah which is what we wanted to avoid yeah so it's all about sort of opening up that accessibility I guess to karting that as you say you wanted to know information on initially but you weren't sure where to find that information so you've put mm-hmm. that together in in one central place for people to to find out exactly so tell us how you actually got into karting then because that's what you do now isn't it mm-hmm. yeah I, I race competition go-karts um it was totally by accident actually um so <laughs> i was autocrossing and i was doing that pretty regularly and it was in the winter of 2009 that there's just nothing to do because it was the end of the season and a buddy of mine who raced indoor carts was like you need to come karting with me and at the time i didn't know anything about it and so i was like this is stupid like they're just little tiny toy things like this is not racing like it's dumb and he's like you've never even done it like how can you say anything about that and I was like okay fair enough so he took me to this indoor kart track and I enjoyed it so much 
and I really sucked at it. <laughs> so I got, I got frustrated because I was like, I just finally got decent in autocross. I'm starting this new thing. I don't want to start over, so I'm not going to start over. So I was that guy that went to the indoor kart track like every day for like a month and a half and did like five or six races a day and just pounded around the racetrack <laughs> until I figured out how to go fast. And then I started racing leagues at my indoor track and doing that. And then inadvertently... I think it was partly also because I was probably one of the few people of color there. Another racer that I met who raced competition karts is like, you need to go and get into outdoor karting. Like, you're really fast. You should learn how to do this. And I didn't know how to get into outdoor karts. And that's kind of what spawned the genesis of Kart Pulse. And so I told him, I was like, look, I don't know how to do this. I don't have money to do this. Leave me alone. Like, it's frustrating because I don't know how to do these things. Like, go away. And fortunately for me, he didn't. And so he just said, <laughs> called one of his friends and said, there's a guy who really needs to be in a go-kart. He's really enthusiastic. Like if you put him in one, that's the only thing he'll want to do. So he basically set up a test for me. And I went, we went to the Tri-Cities area and I drove a cart and I was like, this is the most amazing thing in the whole world. Like, why doesn't everybody do this? And everyone's mm-hmm. like, I don't know. I was like, well, we're going to fix that. <laughs> <laughs> and now here we are, you know, six or seven years later, you know, I'm racing tag in my area and I race mostly regionally, but the U.S. is big. So, mm-hmm. you know, going from Washington to California is like going across mainland Europe mm-hmm. for most people. So we have a lot of tracks we can go to and a lot of things we can do. So it's a lot of fun. That sounds super exciting. And like you said, it's really good that that guy didn't give up and he did push you mm-hmm. to try something new. You mentioned earlier that, you know, when you don't know how to do something or don't know much about something that you've gone out and dug out the information to to work it out. Mm-hmm. What would be some of the most important things that you've learned during your casting career that you would pass on to people who might be going on the same journey now? Uh, that's a good question. I think the first thing that I would advise to people is to make sure that you're there to have fun because we get really caught up in this narrative of like, oh, karting is the path to Formula One. And mm-hmm. I'm a little biased because I love go-karting, but there's a part of me that goes, there's the whole world of go-karting, like even all the way up to international CIK level karting. And then there are other things. And so there's a lot of fun racing you can just do at your local and club level that will entertain you for the rest of your life that will not stress you out rather than trying to run down the route of being an F1 driver if you don't have like the $10 million to do that. Right. Because yeah. it's like a minimum buy in to do all these things and a minimum buy in mm-hmm. to like get into car categories and race in them and do well and compete and go, that people just don't think of because that information is not readily available. And so they suck the fun out of something they could be really doing by focusing on something that they're not really going to do. And mm-hmm. so I always tell people they should be focusing on having fun and go karting because go karting is a lot of fun. Right. Um, the second thing is I would say is look for the local classes in your area. So like go to the kart tracks, find tracks near you go there first and ask people what they're racing because that will help you figure out what's popular and where to start your journey into karting where a lot of folks like they don't know a lot about karts, so they say like oh i want to buy a shifter cart which is kind of crazy because it's like a 36 horsepower will rip your face off six speed gearbox a lot of work sort of machine and so it's like the f1 car of go-karting it's like you're starting at the wrong end Mm -hmm. and so when you don't know all you do is you think of what you think you know about go-karts and you buy the wrong thing it's too hard it's too frustrating, it's too fast, it's too expensive to run, and then you're fresh, and you just don't ever stick with it. You never stick with it because it's just too many challenges all at once. Or if you went to a kart track, people would say, oh, start in a four-stroke category or start in a low-speed you know, tag category, like a two-stroke category, and you would be like, oh, this is enough for me to get involved in the sport that I can be successful and make progress and have fun, and then when I'm ready to take on the more additional commitment of something faster or more challenging, I know what I'm getting into. I have the basic tools already at my disposal. I've gone to all the tracks, so I kind of know my way around the circuits. And so now I'm ready to go faster, and it's not just spooking me. 
right? So those would probably be my two things is one, have fun and two, race where other people are racing, like find the most popular classes and start there. Thank you. Hopefully that's helpful for people that might be listening. And on a more personal level, is karting and motorsport something that you want to move into full-time eventually? I mean, like full-time, air quotes. (laughs) (laughs) Like um, I'd like to do more more competitive levels of it. So in my my area, I race in a mixed engine formula. It's a kind of a tag class. So what that is, is that there are multiple engines that run in the same class that are balanced out by performance weight. So it's kind of like BOP and sports cars. And that can be fun, but that can also be kind of frustrating because then you're there, you're always going to have tracks that suit one engine or another and yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. And so I would like to either find a way to get a more competitive package and run at the front all the time, or <laughs> I'd like to be able to go someplace where maybe there's more of like a national spec category, like our SCUSA series or something else like that. So I could just kind of see where things shake out when everything's more even. Um, I like go-karting a lot. And I'd like to do a combination of probably go-karting and then high-level grassroots club racing, like our grid lives or maybe our SCCA spec Miatas or something else like that. Um, because I like, I like attainable racing vehicles. And so go-karting is something that's massively attainable. It's incredibly fast and you learn a lot and it's just a blast fun. And then a lot of like your um, Formula Mazdas or spec Miatas or like grid life categories allow you to have a little bit more open fun in the type of vehicles you have. And so you can, you know, modify a vehicle to the rules and race it with other people like a GLTC car or something else like that. And that's something that I can visualize and attain for myself that motivates me to want to go get it rather than like uh, an LMP car. Or like mm-hmm. a Formula mm-hmm. 2 car, which like, I'm 33. <laughs> There's no combination in the universe where a Formula 2 car and me ever come together. And so like, <laughs> that's just frustrating. That's not fun for me, right? I like to see things where I go, look, there are other people like me that are around my skill level that I can push and have a fun time and have a good race rather than here's a place that I either A, can't afford, B, don't fit the criteria for, or C, like just wouldn't have any fun doing because there'd be too big of a skills gap between where I'm at and what I would need to be successful that like, why? You're just setting yourself up for failure. So I try to set myself up for success. (laughs) So I focus myself (laughs) on on things that I know I can do that will still challenge me so that I'm having fun. I can go home and be like, I had a good day. Maybe I didn't win the race or anything, but I had a great day and next time I'll come back and do better. (laughs) Yeah, so you talked there about the direction that you want to go competition-wise within Mm -hmm. racing. But what do you hope to achieve with your involvement in motorsport on a sort of getting enthusiasts into the grassroots kind of sector of motorsport? What do you want to sort of achieve there in terms of goals and aspirations? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. I, I mean, for me, I would like to be able to be known as a resource that could help enable people into the sport because it's so hard through either lack of information or lack of funds. And mostly it's about lack of information, even around how to get funds. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so if I can help mm. folks figure out paths to success into the sport that are attainable and achievable so they can get their ball rolling, basically self-enable themselves, then that's a success for me. Because I don't know where you want to go. I'm not trying to put a label of what you should do or want to do. Like if you want to be an F1 driver knock yourself out, right? If you want to be a sports car person or a rally person or a champion level go-karter or whatever, dirt oval racer, I don't, I don't care. But what I do care about is that the fact that you're able to get in and make some progress and at least put a path for yourself so that you can be involved. Because um, there are a lot of people that I race with, especially older people, like especially in the, maybe in the 25 or plus category, who they were like, I never got a chance to go racing and I guess I never will. And that just blows my mind because I look at all of the race cars that are openly available out there and I go, why not? 
<laughs> like there's so many classes and categories that you could go race. There's so many go-karts, club racing cars, so many things, right? That I'm like, it's literally right there. And it's just that there's not enough clear and open information to enable folks. And there are also not a lot of role models that just kind of stand up and say, I want to teach yeah. you how to get into this. Like, I don't, I don't need you to tell me how fast I am, right? I just want you to get involved with me and we'll race together. Let's do that, right? Yeah, I think that's actually a really interesting point and one to remember because even on this podcast, we talk a lot about having our younger listeners sort of encouraging and inspiring them to a career mm-hmm. in motorsport. But there are obviously older people as well, even, you know, from mm-hmm. in the 20s. You, you older people, as older yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and, you know, they, they might want to go racing or, you know, they might want to get into a career in motorsport mm-hmm. still. Like, so we shouldn't no. discount them and we should still be encouraging them in any way that we can and making motorsport as accessible and inclusive as, as we can. Mm-hmm. The other thing I'll add to that is, like, I have a business background. And so I always ask myself, like, where does the money come from and how do I get it? And so because I need to be able to enable myself to take the next step. And so even for my, my, the folks that I mentioned that are younger, I always ask, I'm like, find out how much it costs to do this activity and figure out where this money is coming from and figure Mm -hmm. out what are the steps that you need to do to be able to attain that money on your own. Because like, you know, that's a nice way of saying mom and dad won't be paying for this forever. Okay. At some point you're going to need to figure out how to fund these things yourself. And I run into Mm -hmm. a lot of people who just never conceptualize that they just they'll be like oh we used to race when I was a kid and then we just stopped and you didn't just stop just the cash flow stopped and no one really taught you where to go get any more or what value you had to create to get some or what it would cost to do and so you just stopped doing it that's what happened and no one's ever given you any guidance or training of like you know this is where you know maybe the careers you can follow to be able to afford to go racing or Mm -hmm. this is how you build up good sponsor relationships so you have a good momentum for when that time comes that people are still thinking of you when you need the help or fill in the other categories that it'll take to keep the ball rolling right um a lot of folks don't do that so i try to provide that guidance where i can i mean i i got a business background just so i could learn how racing worked like i went to college and i looked at racing cars and i said all the stickers on the side of these racing cars are businesses and I'm sure most of them mm-hmm. are doing it for fun. There must be some reason they're trying to make money to do this. So let's figure out why and how do they work and how does money work and who's paying for this and da 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 da. Like, how does the race car get funded? Who pays for that? Like, how are all these people showing up? Who's paying for them? How does this driver get here? Who's paying for that? Like, and then figure all of those things out. So then it was easier for me to say, hmm, what options do I have at my disposal? How much money do I need to have to make? How much money would I have to spend? It's not sexy. It's not a sexy conversation, but it's pragmatically yeah. functional so that you're mm-hmm. able to attain certain things and also to like give yourself some expectation setting where you go, hmm, I make $150,000 a year per se. I need to pay my rent and I need to get food and I need to pay for my lights and bills and you know all these things, clothes and all that. So let's take that money, put that over there. And then I've got this fun pond. Do I want to go racing, you know, once a year or do I want to go racing a hundred times a year? If I want to go a hundred times a year, maybe the vehicle needs to be smaller. I'll go go-kart racing. <laughs> it's $10 to go on a practice day at my go-kart track, then $350 to run a car at a track day. And then once you kind of start to get into the nature and the mindset of that, it makes it a little bit easier to be able to set up a path for yourself. So rather than saying like, I'll never be able to do that. My first question is like, how much is that car? How much does it cost to race it? Where do you go race? What's the entry fee for that? Okay, now I'm figuring out what my budget needs to be and I can set myself on a plan so that I know, okay, I'm needing to commit $150,000 to race this season, but I know that. And it's not a surprise when I get involved. I know what actions I need to start making to get those things, right? Um, So I try to help other people think the same way and their success may vary, so. 
I think that what you're doing is really amazing and the sponsorship side of things and the budgeting aspect of it, the way you've just broken it down, I think that's really, really helpful. I know you've written some articles on that as well, I believe, Mm -hmm. which maybe we can try and link Mm -hmm. in the description as well. Um, But yeah, really big well done to you for setting up such a great initiative because there's not enough of that I don't think and it's so good to just have that open forum that people can come and ask the questions that might seem stupid or they might be embarrassed to ask but it's like a safe space almost right I mean motorsports this weird black box where no one talks about how the things work but yet we're confused when no (laughs) one shows up and I'm like but you never told anybody how to show up so no one showed up (laughs) (laughs) and it's just like shrug right and it's the same thing from engineering or business or other things like I was listening to the beyond the grid podcast with Andy Cal and he was talking about diversity initiatives and I thought it was really good when he said they need to go to a lot of schools and teach people around um, the important school skills that you need like educational skills that you need to become an engineer you need to be good in the sciences you need to be good in mathematics and like if you can make an attractive spin on something that sounds boring it'll motivate more people to be involved right I mean like to me math and engineering would seem super super boring until you point out a formula one engineer and it's like if you have those skills you can do that thing and now it's the most interesting thing in the world to me right I wish somebody had told me that you just have to put it into context exactly you just have to put it into context and I wish someone had done that for me when I was younger right I just kind of stumbled into it because I was just like huh why do all these racing drivers plug all these sponsors who are these people Google Oh, they're businesses. They need to make money. Google, how did they make money? Oh, it's run on money. I need some of that. Okay, got it. Got it. <laughs> right? A lot of people don't end up doing that. So. so talk to us about the podcast as well that you're involved with. Because oh, sure. um, Ariana just mentioned the blogs as well. Mm-hmm. But you also have some involvement in motorsport podcasts too. Yeah, yeah, I do. So um, I, I kind of split this in two. So I have a friend of mine that was a sponsor turned business partner that we do a business and marketing podcast called On the Road. And so we spent a lot of time talking about marketing and and kind of business concepts for like the automotive aftermarket. And so a lot of times it's more around like how you sell or how you market or social media or how do we sell during quarantine or how do you create a genuine message, message, that sort of stuff. Um, But because of some of the recent um, social events that we've had going on, Chris gave me some airtime to really talk about like the importance of how words matter and diversity conversations. So the last Mm -hmm. podcast I did was specifically about that because there are a lot of businesses who are being involved in a lot of um, these diversity initiatives that are very genuine, but they use the wrong words to express what they're thinking and then people get mad. And so then businesses shy away from wanting to be involved in that because they'll say like, oh, well, I want to support, let's say Black Lives Matter. I want to support general equality or I want to end racism or whatever we're trying to do, but I'm using the wrong words or I'm, I'm, maybe not breaking it down simply enough for people to understand what I'm trying to do. I, like, I don't know what success looks like mm-hmm. when I'm communicating these things. And so it's confusing. And so I spent a little bit of time starting into that conversation. Um, and in some eventual podcasts, I'll start to break down kind of approaches and strategies a little bit more of like what to do in that space, because it's an important thing to do. Like, I mean, general human decency is a fabulous thing, but it's complicated and sticky and messy. And there's a lot of listening that has to go on as well as speaking that when yeah. you're trying to make a marketing message can be really, really hard. And so, especially when you're maybe focusing on a particular demographic, it can be very, very, very tricky not to accidentally alienate the other group or, you know, fill in the other things. And so um, I started doing podcasts around those sorts of topics because I just spent a lot of time thinking about it um, and my day jobs in sales. So words matter there too. So you spend a lot of time figuring out how to best communicate some, you know, complex topics. So. We will link the podcast episode that you did about words matter as well in the description, because it's definitely worth a listen, but 
people may not have listened to it when they listen to this. So could you <laughs> talk um, <laughs> a bit more about what you discussed in that podcast? I know that you touched on the differences between racism and institutional bias and things mm-hmm. like that. And could you maybe do it in the motorsport light as well? Yeah, yeah, I can, I can. Um, so the way this all started was I was looking at some of the work that Lewis Hamilton was doing around um, Black Lives Matter and then what Formula One was doing around their in racism campaign. And I would read a lot of the comments, which is always a terrible idea, but it was helpful in this particular case. Um, <laughs> a lot of the friction was coming in of people just being like, oh, I hate this. Oh, I don't agree. Oh, you're stupid. Da, 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 da. And I would sit through tons of interviews, of not just like Lewis, but like Susie Wolf and Toto Wolf and all these other people. And I would listen to what they were saying. And I would say the intent of what they're saying is correct, but the words they're using are incorrect. And so people will take what they hear and act on what they hear. Like you can't ask them to read the minds of the people that they are listening to and translate what they intend to mean. They can only act mm-hmm. off what they hear. And so um, even in, in my own personal life, I'll have discussions with people around systemic bias or around the black experience and people will get frustrated with me. And like, I'll jokingly tell my friends, my Facebook wall is a combination of racing cars and white planning because half of it is people just trying to tell me that I'm wrong when I'm not trying to be aggressive and tell people how their way of life is wrong. I'm just trying to explain how my way of life is, which is a totally different thing. And so mm-hmm, a large yeah. part of it comes down to how words matter and how we need to pay attention to the discussions that we're having, which is difficult and complicated and sticky. And what a lot of people try to do is they try to like end racism in one big swing, which is impossible because this is a human problem. Like this is a human conditional mm-hmm. problem, you know, that's been around for thousands of years. Like there's not going to be one liner that's just going to solve the whole thing. And if there is, that person will be the richest person of all time because they literally will have ended racism. So the only way we solve that is by having smaller discussions and moving it kind of one person at a time where like I listen to you and you listen to me and we come to some common understanding of how our lives are like. And so that whole podcast kind of spawned the, you know, kind of beginning of that conversation around how like the, even the words we use when we talk around racism versus institutionalized bias are extremely important because they mean different things. And so mm-hmm. if I go to my white colleague and say, oh, this sport is racist, when I don't mean that, what I'm saying is this sport likes race A over race B and doesn't want race mm-hmm. B around when that's not what I mean at all. And then, yeah. of course, they're going to have reactions based off that that aren't going to be what I like. And then we just clash all the time. <laughs> so I mm-hmm. need to choose my words better. <laughs> and that person probably could listen a bit, but I need to choose my words better if I'm going to make progress along this line. So that's kind of where that podcast first started from, because I noticed this trend, even with the people that were representing the the best of intent with the messaging, I would be like, if I heard what you said and just took what you said at face value i would have a different reaction than you want me to have and so we're not going anywhere we're just spinning our wheels right so that's where that started leading on from that in formula one we Mm -hmm. know that they have the end racism slogan Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. what is your view on that given what you've just said and how that will actually feed into some of the diversity issues that we have within the sport because obviously like you've just said the issue isn't necessarily that there is racism within Formula One. It's right. some of the biases. Right. So how do you think their slogan will feed back into what they're trying to tackle? That's a good question. So I feel like that that slogan will evolve. And like you, you nailed it with the term slogan, right? So in a marketing context, a slogan is a phrase that is easy to remember, like with Burger King and have it your way. 
right? Like that means a lot of different <laughs> things, but you know who I'm talking about automatically. You know what that means. You know what I'm supposed to get. But when you're dealing with a very complicated social issue, like in racism, which, you know, from your point of view will mean different things, it's very difficult to determine what success will look like. Like when you look at a message like that, it's very hard to pull out, like, what does success look like? What are we trying to accomplish? What are our immediate next steps? And a part of that is going to be a combination of good education, not just from the audience, but also from the people within Formula One speaking to the audience, mm. right? There's, there's going to Definitely. be a lot of that. Um, and I, I mean, I can just tell from thousands of miles away, looking at it from the outset, there's a lot of people who don't really know what this all means. And so they're just mm-hmm. not wanting to say anything, or they'll say whatever is on a cue card because they're given it, not that they're really being engaged in the conversation. And to be frank, I don't think every single person should be involved in the conversation at all times because we're all at different stages of our kind of educational journey and points of view of these things. So it's a very tricky thing to force all of our athletes in one space to just say one thing if they're not all believing it because you can see the intent, right? What Mm -hmm. I would prefer is not only for folks to be able to speak up and say, you know, I feel comfortable speaking about this and this is my point of view of the matter, but for the sport to be able to be more clear around the fact of if we're really focusing on trying to you know, improve the institutionalized biases that are affecting our sport. Just say that. It's a little longer. It's a little more complicated. It's a hell of a lot more clear, right? And, you know, especially in a sport that is trying to be a meritocracy, it's very easy to say that we're trying to find the best and diverse talent. Not hard. I just did it. There you go, right? Because then you don't have people thinking like, oh, we have diversity quotas. And, oh, we're hiring people of color that aren't the best. And and then you also don't put extra pressure on the people who are there because I don't know how many times I've had people who come and say, oh, well, we have Lewis Hamilton, so shouldn't we be done? And I'm (laughs) like, that's not fair at all. Like, that's not how that's supposed to work, right? But because we don't have platforms that support the advocates – it just, they just are off on an island. Like Lewis Hamilton right now is literally off on an island by himself. And he's learning as his journey goes. Like if you look, if you listen to him from six months ago to now, you can tell how his, his messaging has evolved, right? He's learned more. He's talked to more people. He's gathered more information. Mm. His messaging is becoming tighter, more refined. He's pulling out more actionable things that people can do, right? That comes with education, which is fantastic, right? Because you start in the I'm angry phase. This is unfair. I don't yeah. know why it's unfair. And I'm mad, Right. Valid, fair. Everyone should be there. And then you kind of progress yourself to like, okay, these are the specific reasons of why I'm mad. These are the specific things that you can do to help me. These are the specific people that I know will help me versus the people who won't help me. So I won't waste my breath on folks that don't want to change because there's going to be a certain group of disagree people that are just, we're not going to go anywhere. Okay, it's fine. You don't like me. I don't particularly like you the way that you are. I would love for you to change, but you're not going to. I will still give my message out, even though I know it won't reach you, but I'm not going to burn myself out trying to deal with this because yeah. you know, two thirds of the group will help me and one third of the group won't. So I'm going to go over there. Right. Um, and mm-hmm. I, you know, Formula One, I think will eventually evolve that message as they become more and more comfortable. Um, they also have a lot of international pressure to deal with, right? Like this is not just one country's view on a single mm-hmm. effort or, you know, it's a globalized thing. And so you're going to have a d- bunch of different people that are going to be like, what about me? right? Which is fair and totally valid. So it's going to take time, right? Because you can't just align it to one group all the time. There is, there is the moment, like there are the words of the moment and there are the, like there are the matters of the moment. So like right now, the Black Lives Matter movement is the matter of the moment. And it's a very important thing. And like, you know, personally for me too, but over time, you're going to have other people from other points of the world who are going to be like, what about my thing? And that's equally as valid. And so you're getting into kind of a tricky place when you start to say, we're trying to end racism. 
Because now you're solving a huge yeah. social, human social issue mm-hmm. rather than like we're trying to improve the institutionalized meritocracy of Formula One. That's a little more specific. It's just not as sexy to say. And so your average fan wouldn't know what that meant unless you give them multiple, 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 multiple examples. All right. So. Yeah. So that's something I want to ask you, actually. Do you think Formula One were right or maybe fair to use the end racism slogan, given that it's it's sort of creating a lot of confusion between fans especially as you said at the beginning of our conversation where you look in the comments on social media and it seems to sometimes be backfiring because there is that confusion Mm -hmm. yeah um so this is going to be a controversial thing um i think that it was right but not smart so i think that the intent was good but i think that the messaging wasn't they didn't really consider the long-term ramifications of what saying something like that would mean, right? And I, and I think that it's not because they weren't thinking about it. I think it was just more that they thought that like, oh, we could just fix it. And that's not a thing. Like the Formula One is not going to be the thing that fixes racism. Like I'm so sorry to bring this up, but it's just not going to be that thing. And so they kind of bit off more than they could chew by going that far. And so then now they're in this stuck place. Like I think that what they're going to end up doing is doing what Formula E did and kind of evolving their messaging over time of saying like, okay, we, we said this, but we really meant this. We're going to refine it down to something that people can really get themselves around. Like, I think a good suggestion for Formula One would be to really highlight a lot of their diverse folks within the sport throughout the sport, not just their drivers, but their engineers, their marketing people, mm. everyone, right? And find as many diverse, highly talented, skilled advocates from all walks of life, you know, female, people of color, fill in the blank, right? LGBT, fill in the blank, and, and make sure to highlight them as part of the cycle, right? Um, the We Race as One campaign probably has a better chance of growing legs because it can be a little flexible. Right. Mm-hmm. And you can say like, or, hey, we're trying to find the best of the brightest and you can be one of those people, too. And here's some examples of the best and the brightest. And they've come from yeah. these places all over the world. And we found them and we've hired them and we brought them into the sport. And so we show the best talent globally. Right. That's a little easier than we're going to make everyone like each other. Because like sport as a by its nature, people won't always like each other. So how are you going to fix all of the other things? You're, you're not. Right. So I, I understood the intent. And like, there was a small part of me that was like, yeah. And then two seconds later, I went, what? Right? (laughs) (laughs) So I think a lot of other people probably will end up doing that where they would look at that. Like, especially folks who just like, maybe aren't from marginalized groups or Mm -hmm. who are from, maybe even from majority groups that, you know, I, I use this analogy of like, life is like poker. And so some folks have three of a kind, some folks have two pair. And I don't know if you play cards, but two pair is a weaker hand than three of a kind. Right. And so um, we both have bad hands. I just have to bluff a little harder than you do. If I have two pair versus three of a kind, I could still win the game, but I just have to push a lot harder than you do. And so depending on who you are and where you come from, your cards always change. And I use poker a lot because Mm. over the course of the game of poker, you're sometimes exchanging cards for slightly better or worse hands to get yourself in the best position in order to win. Right. And the human condition is like that a lot. And so when you're from, let's say, um, like, I'll use a lot of my white colleagues, right, who maybe come from a first world country who don't see a lot of the institutionalized racism that I may deal with on a regular basis. They'll say, Devin, you're a fairly successful African-American person. Like, what do you have to complain about? And I'm like, well, it's because your experience is just different from mine. And so therefore, yeah. if, unless we have a common place to speak, we're never going to get anywhere. So when Formula One uses something like in racism, there's going to be a large group of people who are like, what the hell are you talking about? 
you didn't you, what right and so you can't gain any traction that way because it's just too big of a thing like formula one would have to dedicate like entire educational institutions to explaining why this is a thing that it's just not going to have the resource to do so heart's in the right place not sure it's going to come off yeah, and I think the slogan end racism, not just within Formula One, but more widely, also allows some people to hide behind yes. that because then they can be like, well, it's not racist, so we don't have to do right. anything more. Yep, we're done. And then, yep. and, then mm-hmm. <laughs> and then it's just completely useless because that's not really what we were saying. We were It was deeper than that, like you've just said, there's institutional biases that we're trying to battle, but the slogan doesn't indicate that. So people can just be like, oh, well, no racism here. Exactly, exactly right. And that's that's a sticky bit because I've seen people do that where they'll be like, oh, we wore the shirt, we're done. Like I've seen drivers say that. I wore the shirt, aren't we finished yet? And I'm like, "Uh, no, Mm. (laughs) (laughs) right? (laughs) And that's why it's so sticky, right? Um, But it's going to take time. Like I would have rather them try and fail fast than not try at all. And, and that's, where, that's where they get my support, right? A lot of organizations wouldn't even try. They'd be like, oh, no, 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 too sticky. We'll lose money and people will get confused. We can't risk money getting them confused and they'll leave and no, 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 no. So we're not even going to touch it. Mm-hmm. Just pass, hard pass, yeah. right? Where Formula One likely had said, we're going to give this a go. Probably not going to be the smoothest ride. Yeah. We're going to figure this out bit by bit. And we'll just kind of, we'll tweak. Yeah, and that's right? okay. Which is how- it started the conversation yeah, that's okay. at least. Um, and now it's just mm-hmm. a matter of refining, but yeah, there's refining work exactly, to be done. exactly. There's work. There's a lot of work to be done, right? And so, and which is good. Like, I'm glad at least the ball is rolling in that space. I just hope that there is. I, I don't know the the background of it's too great, but I just I hope there is like a single like board or community group of diverse folks within F1 that allow for different points of view when having this discussion. Like the last thing Formula One needs is a board of old white people just telling everybody else mm-hmm. what it's supposed to be like. Yeah. Right. Like as a person of color who works in industry, it's incredibly frustrating to go to an organization of old white people and they say, "We fixed racism for you. You need these things." And I'm like, yeah. I don't know what I need. You never yeah. even Yeah, you've not lived right? the struggle. The same experience. You've never lived through it. You're not, you're not listening, right? I mean, it's the same thing when I, when I work with my female colleagues or my LGBT colleagues. Like, I don't have any position to tell you what your experience is like. I need to listen to you about your experience, and you need to tell me how I can help you. Yeah. Right? Or I can provide, I can provide suggestions and then see, will that be helpful? But I shouldn't be like, this is what you need. I'll solve that for you. Like, we won't go anywhere if that's the case, right? So I hope to see that if Formula One's really being genuine about this and not just like shooting out marketing messaging just seem like they're jumping on the bandwagon because mm-hmm. it's really easy to do that where you're just like, we made the shirts. We got all the drivers to do it. We fixed racism. We're done. We have Hamilton. We fixed it. And you're like, no, that's not. If you're going to do that, then just stop. Yeah. <laughs> like, let somebody else do it. I would be very intrigued actually to find out or to see who is on the task force for Formula One because I don't think that's been made Like, Why don't I know that? Yeah I think that should be you're right Steph I think that should be something that is definitely made known Um, like you said we need to know who's inputting into these decisions like who are the faces behind this what are the experiences they've Mm -hmm. had because it has to come from people that have lived the experiences. You need to talk exactly. to those people. You need to listen to them, and that needs to feed into it. You can't just, oh yeah, that looks about right. <laughs> we'll go with that. Yeah, we said it. Yeah, it's it's on a black background. We did it right. That's fine. There's a rainbow. Huh? Yeah. Right. Like we don't need that. Also, also, like operationally, it would be nice to have a couple of representatives to be able to funnel a lot of the discussion towards. Right. 
<clears throat> I mean, Formula One's a huge organization with thousands of people. And I can't expect every single person to represent this all the time, all the time. It's like, I'm not going to go to, uh, you know, I, same with marketing, same with engineering, same with all the other facets of an organization, right? You need a couple people who specialize in a couple departments to help, you know, formulate the conversation to maybe target things of priority, to help give initiatives, like all those things. And so Formula One will need to do that. And so I would love to see like a chief, I know this is going to sound silly, but like a chief diversity representative that would help to kind of formulate a lot of these discussions and drive a lot of the discussions because then at least you have some people that you can identify with that you know are there and that's their only focus right and in, in, in a perfect world you'd have this diverse board of you know people of color and you know lgbt and female and people from industry and then people from you know kind of more of the lesser known areas like i don't know of a place like a way to explain that the best but folks from kind of all over mm -hmm. so that you get a bit of a melting pot of ideas of things that are coming together like i said i don't need a board of all white people telling me how this is supposed to go and, you know at the same time you don't want all of one type of people on this board no matter what that combination is so then that way people feel like i'm represented in some flavor combination sense, right? You maybe have a fan advocate, you have someone from industry, you have maybe one driver who, even if they're not there on the board, just represents like, I think this is a good idea, right? That would be a good place to start because then you could say, hey guys, like these people are trying, go talk to them. Here's an email address, send them your thoughts. I think that you way know? as well, you so. get to the solution a bit faster um, because you have mm -hmm. all of those different people that have all of those different, you know, mm -hmm. who have been marginalized in some way because of the group that they they sit in and then exactly yeah you can work together to to get yeah. to where you need to be yeah exactly 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 and then i think it also would take some of the pressure off of our athletes yeah. to be the face all the time because like they're just they're not that's not fair it's not. like we do that a lot in sport just generally where we we ask our athletes to like win the game and end racism and sell all the mm -hmm. tickets and do all of these things all at once so, like they're supposed to be social social advocates and like yeah they yeah. should be those things like they should be role models they should be but at some point you have to kind of give them some yeah relief. and also with with a topic like this like racism and specifically blm it's a heavy topic to carry if you <laughs> are someone that is black mixed race that's mm -hmm. a heavy thing for you to have to carry for you to have to be the spokesperson for that for you to have to look at what's happening every day process it mm -hmm. recognize that that's the same mm -hmm. or similar experiences that you face and then have to battle it mm -hmm. and then have to go and race the car mm -hmm. and then have to deal with the backlash and not lose your temper along with everything else that's a massive task to ask of someone like mm -hmm. i'm i'm half black and i'm not in the spotlight and even i find this emotionally draining if I was yes. if I was Lewis, <laughs> I would be yeah, exhausted. Literally. Tired all the time. Yeah, tired all the time. Emotionally mm -hmm. and mentally mm -hmm. on zero. Yes, yes. Well, and also too, you know, for for like my white advocates, how do I be involved in the conversation the right way? Yes. I mean, I have people who come to me all the time and they're like, I'm white, I agree with you, I just don't want to screw this up. How do I help? So important. Right. I don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. Help me. Right. And so to be able to have a way for those folks to be able to be engaged and provide support in a productive way is also helpful. I mean, that's why I started with the whole Words, Words Matter podcast, because like, okay, so my Facebook wall can be a mess sometimes. And like, you'll read through these comments and they're either just really, really ignorantly frustrating or people who genuinely want to help, but they're just saying the wrong things. And so you create these fights because people are saying like, oh, you're being racist. And I'm like, they're, okay, that person is, but this person's not. And like, it's complicated, it's sticky. Mm -hmm. That's how life is, right? And so when you're able to kind of give them constructive things, like here's some material I like for you to share, 
or here's something I would like for you to listen to, or here's one facet of what this is like. I'd like you to listen and tell me what your opinions are, right? That helps to kind of drive it in a slightly more focused way than like white people just don't feel bad and end all the racism for us. Like that's not going to help, right? You can't do that. And also like, I can't, ask for you to understand what my experience is like when you don't know what it's like so we have to work together yeah right a room full of white people can't tell me what the black experience is like no. just doesn't <laughs> happen that way and a room full of black people won't just make it easier for white people to feel comfortable that we've done it right right so we need a combination mm-hmm. and, and you know and then everyone else that's also coming along board here you're you know your your females your lgbt's all the you know i'm always missing someone different religious backgrounds there's always something they also need to be involved in the discussion too so that they don't feel isolated yeah right because we're yes we're having conversations of the moment yes but i know that there are lots of other people who aren't as loud or aren't as front of stage let's say that aren't getting the attention that need the help too and so they need to feel comfortable to be able to stand up and say davin i'm an indian american hindi that feels marginalized here and i'm different from you can you help me and i want to say yes and i want to hear where you're at and i want to hear where i can help you and keep moving the train right um that at the end of the day should be where we end up it's just not going to happen overnight. Mm. It's going to take a long, long time. It's going to take longer than I'm going to be around. Like, that's for sure, right? Um, and so a lot of times I kind of focus on the areas that I have a little bit more domain expertise around, which is the Black experience, because ta-da. And then I try to help drive that conversation a bit. And then where other folks, they would like for me to act as an ally or an advocate, I try to. So I work with a group called Racing Pride because an ally for them, they're, they're focused more on LGBT support within the motorsport community. And I'm, I'm a straight heterosexual man. Right. But I wanted to be involved in their group to be an advocate for them to say, look, this is a group of genuine positive intent that is doing the right things. For, and I'm here to help them. I'm not trying to grab attention. I don't need credit. I don't need any of that. This is another group that needs assistance, just like how folks in the African-American community or black community need assistance in their own thing. I'll help them. They'll help me. We'll all work together. Right. So especially when I have friends who are LGBT who are involved in motorsport and they're like, I'm. I'm shy or I'm scared about being involved in motorsport of how people will judge me. I'll send them that way. And I'll be like, here, here's a bunch of advocates who have lived through that experience. You'll have some peers at least that you can speak to that will be able to understand where you're coming from. I don't know anything about that, but I want to help you. So I will, I will send you these people and they will help you and I will support you because emotionally I'm here to support you. Right. And if there's anything I can do, just like, you know, back you up basically I'm here. Right. And that's the best, that's the best I can do. Right. Um, So I try to be involved in those sorts of organizations where I can, because there's not just one challenge. It's very sticky. Right. Um, So I try to advocate as much as I can. So it's not just like it's all about me because I don't want it to be all about me. So what do you think about the industry initiatives and programs that are around? I know you mentioned, obviously, with in terms of supporting communities, you're an ally for for racing pride. Mm -hmm. What do you think can be done to sort of extend that across for all sort of different underrepresented or marginalized groups well if i was if i was a company or a or like a a any sort of organization that was like trying to sell a product or a service or etc i would ally myself with those groups as a way to have like a consultant specialist around how to speak to people of different industries and groups because you may not know how to do it best and they do and so, you know, rather than asking Racing Pride to lift everything up, if you can help to advocate for them, you know, Driven by Diversity does the same thing, right? If you can advocate for these groups as credible, you know, uh, industry spaces or uh, social mm-hmm. spaces for people to learn about certain experiences, that helps to further the, communi- uh, further the conversation, right? Which I think is immensely valuable, right? Um, there's a lot of like listening that needs to be yeah. done from both sides on every group. 
right? Um, the, you need to tell me what your experience is like and what, what you need. And I need to listen to you about kind of how your business and industry and space works. And we can find some commonality of where we can live so that we can spread the message in a positive way that doesn't hurt you and doesn't hurt me. And then we can make kind of progress together. So when I see a lot of organizations that are doing a lot of the sort of um, social outreach of like advocating for folks and, you know, lifting up people who are trying within the community, I think that's a great thing because we don't see a lot of that. And then I always try to look to see if those people are being mindful enough to understand how the organizations that are supporting them function so that they can come back and say, how can I best support you as you are supporting me? <laughs> so that you don't take the risk by putting my name on the top of a thing. And then it's like, oh, my God, <laughs> like, why did they say that? <laughs> right. That sort of thing. Um, so it, it's a lot of it's a lot of that conversation of kind of moving that forward. Um, you know, you see it. You see it a lot. Like even with NASCAR, they've tried it with their um, they've. Um, the name is escaping me, but they have a diversity program that uh, I know it's going to make yeah. me feel that way. I, it's escaping yeah. me too, um, but yeah, I know the one you mean. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, they have a diversity program where they kind of started that, but the part that I always was a little hesitant about is that I never really saw a lot of pure advocacy, like advocacy about mm -hmm. it. It was like the, um, they were trying, and they were identifying people of color who wanted to be involved in motorsport, and that's a good thing. But then none of those people really got any sort of promotion or press and then the other people didn't really go the other way and really promote the NASCAR program and so it just kind of sit, if you know where to look you'll go find it mm -hmm. and if you don't yeah. you don't right and so there's a good example of like there just needs to be more injection of effort yeah. <laughs> in both those spaces right in order to get momentum rolling in that space because you can't leave it up to the drivers to do all the work and you can't leave it up to NASCAR to do all the work so you got to work together. I love talking to Davin. His enthusiasm for karting really came through and I love how passionate he is about motorsport and diversifying the industry. Yeah, you could really see that and I think it's great that he has such a focus on the grassroots level because this is where the talent needs to be captured and nurtured in order to start feeding the funnel. Yeah, and let's also highlight that he does this in his own time because that's such a commitment to helping others and sharing his love for motorsport through Cart Pulse and other resources such as the podcast and also the articles that we discussed. I also did just want to add what he had to say on how to be an ally was really valuable. Um, moving on to the podcast, which you've just mentioned, Ariana, I'd also recommend listening to his Words Matter podcast that he did under On The Road which we will put in the episode description alongside the links to Cart Pulse, the online community for carters, and also to his articles that we also discussed. If you want to connect with Davin on social, his handle is at Relaxed Driver on both Twitter and Instagram. Make sure to follow us as well for any news and updates on Instagram too, at We Are Driven by Diversity. If you like what you heard, don't forget to subscribe so you're notified when our next episode drops, and we'll see you then. 